everyone, and welcome to another episode of At War, the podcast of the Conflict Law Center. Today, we're going to be talking to you about background detainees, and we were very delighted to have with us Sara Bilal. Barrister Sara Bilal is an executive director of Justice Project Pakistan, as well as a recipient of the 2016 Franco-German Human Rights Prize and the Echoing Green Global Fellowship in 2013. Justice Project Pakistan is a non-profit organization based in Lahore that represents the most vulnerable Pakistani prisoners facing the harshest punishments at home and abroad. In December 2016, JPP was awarded the National Human Rights Award presented by the President of Pakistan. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I'd like to start off by just asking you about the facts of the case in terms of like why were there Pakistani prisoners in Bagram, what they were doing there and how they came to be repatriated. And I just really want to highlight JPP's really important role. So when I was looking at this, I was just like, okay, this really started with you guys filing litigation in the Lahore High Court in 2010, applying pressure, and then you saw their repatriation happen in 2014. Um, it was not in small part due to JPP just ensuring that these people weren't forgotten. And also, if we could talk a little bit about how after they were repatriated, what legal challenges they faced uh, upon coming sure. back. Um, so that's a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but we, um, you know, we started, when we started filing the case, the principle that we were going on, uh, which is one of our favorite principles, and we still actually have litigated many subsequent cases on that principle, uh, is basically a Pakistani citizen's constitutional right under Article 4, mm. which basically everyone thinks about it as being the due process clause. Mm -hmm. But actually, Pakistan's constitution is a kind of special and very progressive in the way that the due process clause also has an element of it which actually is gives you counselor protection. Right. That's a constitutional right. Mm. This, is a do, this is a doctrine, right? The doctrine of counselor protection yes. is something that is yeah. now gaining a lot of speed, um, you know, especially with the ex-rapporteurs, uh, Agnes Kalamard's uh, excellent report on the subject. But our constitution always had that fundamental right in here. So it means mm. that every Pakistani has a right to be treated in accordance with the law, wherever they may be. Right. And that's yeah. what we used as the backbone of going for, uh, going to the Lahore High Court, mm. saying that here were Pakistani citizens who were being detained mm. uh, in a neighboring country under a power, whoever the controlling power at that yeah. time, which was the United States, and are being held with all of their due process rights being violated. Yeah. So obviously the first question would be, well, how on earth can the Lahore High Court order the Americans to release Pakistani mm. citizens? And that's where the beauty of our constitution came. We said, we're not asking, the, obviously, the Honorable Court to be passing, you know, any judgment against the United States of America. Mm. What we need the court to do is to enforce, to make sure, right, so judicially review the actions that are being taken by the government of Pakistan mm. to, yeah. to in respect of Article 4, right? Yeah. We know their due process rights are being mm. violated. Here's you know, all of the documentation of it. What is our government doing to yeah. uphold that? And that's the principle which the Lahore High Court followed then for in a continuing mandamus for like over four years, mm. which actually led to their repatriation because right. they forced our government mm. to start making more forceful representations, documenting blah, 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 blah. And over four years, it just the Lahore High Court basically oversaw 
the wow. repatriation and release of these prisoners. Okay, nice. And and I kind of want to get into a little bit the international law framework. We, we had a little bit of a brief discussion <laughs> before we started the podcast about what applies um, and the whole notion that they were really falling into this kind of like legal black hole where you had yeah. to de- rely then on domestic Pakistani law to be applied extraterritorially to this Afghan mm-hmm. prison rather than something that you could rely on international law yeah. and take that to the court. Um, and I was also reading um, this report which talked about 2014 Army Lieutenant Colonel Miles Kagans, a Pentagon spokesperson on, for detention, was like, oh, the Pakistanis are being held there under the laws of war yeah. and in safe, humane detention. And then the reports came out and the, the, it was very shocking to see how much they were being tortured. And it was definitely not safe. It was definitely not humane. Um, and this also differs from other accounts by the mm-hmm. Americans, which were like, these are enemy combatants. The laws of war don't apply. We're not going to hold them to the Geneva Conventions, which then they they took yeah. that back in Iraq, but in Afghanistan that was definitely yeah. their their um, their opinion of what laws applied. Um, so, do you think that classification, this kind of like legal black holeness, these kind of legalese, which was you know nobody could really understand what law was being applied, do you think that really denied them the rights that they would otherwise be entitled to, and their legal status also played a part in that? Yeah, I think. I mean, look, I think. First of all, as lawyers, and especially lawyers that are trying to do strategic litigation or human rights law, it's really important for us to understand a certain couple of base truths, right? Mm. The law is political. The law is about power, right? And if you are looking to challenge power, then you have to view it, you know, I think the problem again is law school because I think they teach us to be so focused on this thing that they forget, you know, that if you're not looking at everything in its context Mm. and its larger context, you're not going to understand the power. You're not going to understand the very force that you're trying to fight against. You're missing out an entire kind of strategy, a whole Mm. world of strategy because you're just focused on, well, this is what they said and this is what the law says and this is what we're going to say and this is what the court is going to say. In my experience, the law has never worked like that. It might be the Mm. field that I'm in, Mm. but it's never worked out by that. But every time that we have looked at the power that we're trying to speak truth to or to hold accountable, when we've looked at them in their context and understood that context and played with that context, we've had a better result with the court, outside the court, you know, with the power, whatever. So even in that context, I, you know, we talked about this, I have witnessed endless squabbling mm. you know at some of the highest most uh, accomplished mm. international organizations you know at conferences endlessly speaking about this distinction in international law you know that the americans had created through pure yes. american exceptionalism completely right yeah. i mean frankly there is no argument mm. you saw a country Definitely. violate geneva convention the geneva conventions blatantly yeah you yeah. should have just called him out on that. Yeah. Why are you engaging in this conversation yeah. of are there enemy combatants? Are there this? It really doesn't matter. Mm. And it didn't matter because they were exerting power, right? Yeah. Unjustly yeah. and doing whatever they wanted in Afghanistan. Mm. And because everybody became detained, like, you know, distracted by, well, you know, we're going to figure out how to get around this memo and yeah. like come up with a legal argument. That's mm. not what got these guys out. Yeah. That's also not what held them to account. Guantanamo Bay, Right. Those detainees got the right to be represented by a lawyer because the U.S. Supreme Court, mm. right, talked about the, consti- the constitutional amendment or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm a British lawyer, not an American yeah. one, but it talked yes. about yeah. how that was a constitutional right. They didn't mm. extend that to Afghanistan. Yeah. But what got these guys out of Afghanistan was Pakistan's constitution. Right. 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 So 
but meanwhile internationally everyone's still talking about you know how international mm. well i don't mind talking about let's call a spade a spade mm. let's talk about how international law failed mm. how it was flouted how it relies on big powers to actually go go along with it and yeah. how it should be a lesson for all of us you know especially you know ngos in those powers on how easily they got distracted yeah by whatever the us administration was trying mm. to you know throw them a bone with and how what actually worked yeah right so sorry for that bit of a no, rant no 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 it's totally fine i i completely agree with you in the sense that um the third world approach to international law has to be so much stronger in terms of how the global south reacts to all of these issues and also that i was reading a report about this which was looking at the icrc and international lawyers like you rightly said being like wait is this an occupation is this non international armed conflict is this an international armed conflict wait how could they be enemy combatants and given the americans arguments that they never even made they were like okay maybe under this provision they could be arguing that it's they're flouting the law i've been in those rooms and, and i like, wanted to pull out my yeah. hair and thank god at that time i was too young i didn't understand international law i didn't take it in yeah. university and so for me it was like Okay as a lawyer I can sort of understand the arguments yeah. even though I don't know the principles but even then because of my naivety thank mm. god because I think if I'd studied international law we would have been paralyzed and would have not brought this challenge Oh really Yeah okay. it's because we didn't mm. and I was in those rooms and I saw all yeah. of these organizations endlessly hair splitting mm. over what the US administration had thrown at them. Yeah that because I didn't understand you know 40% of it I was able to say this is bullshit. It yeah. doesn't I'm sorry yeah. for saying bullshit. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything to the yeah. people on the ground that are being held. Yeah. And this endless thing is not going to help you get them out either. So what are we doing here? They yeah. all were very upset at me <laughs> making that comment. Again, the folly of youth. But mm. yeah, I agree like it's just come on, you know. I mean, there's a power disparity that is built into international law. The Completely. Geneva Conventions Completely. were a good, you know, now that I've done it, I've done international law yeah. a bit. I think they're a beautiful set of ideas I, and I, I think they're worth defending yeah, but completely. they need to evolve and the war on terror has shown yeah. how utterly they fail yeah. that paradigm yeah. and you have enough history under that paradigm now for 20 years to be able to take it on also because they were post world war 2 one mm. that's why they don't fit into the war on terror paradigm mm. and yes. also let's yeah. remember that the people who are harbingers of this system right even mm. of international law yeah. whether it's the powers or organizations like the icrc are also the people who decide essentially yeah right yeah. what is an international armed conflict yeah. and not you know yeah. and let's keep that in mind as a context when we talk about it because and- and equally in what ways they they allow the stretching of the laws of war so i agree with you i read the geneva conventions and i'm like i really find them so inspiring beautiful documents in the sense that okay all of these countries in 1949 they came together they just yeah. seen the brutality horrors of the second world war and they agreed to give each other as prisoners of war such extensive yeah. protections you can't deny a prisoner of war hit tobacco ration because that would violate the Geneva Conventions they were completely incredibly comprehensive and we saw that with Abinandin when he landed right that you couldn't film him having a cup of jai right. like that's against the Geneva right. Conventions protect these people um 
But at the same time, where they fail, and also where they fail, we've seen that going into Iraq, we've seen that the Americans could just sit fail, there and be like, they're not going to be applied. Yeah. And now you have Russia do, doing that in Ukraine, and everyone's like, sanction them to the ends of so, the earth, and also have a tribunal. So there's a there's a very there's a reason there's another reason why they failed so spectacularly, in yeah. my opinion. Actually, not just in my opinion, it's fairly obvious, and the Ukraine example really highlighted that. Is that there is an absolute racial inequity, right? Yeah. This is about brown bodies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what the war on terror was about. Yeah. And it was about brown bodies, and suddenly those bodies were not as important as arguing endlessly about the legalese of international law, mm. right? Yeah. Whereas when yeah. you have the Ukraine-Russia crisis, mm. apart from the geopolitical situation of it being in Europe, but you know it was widely covered by progressive networks. Yeah. How even it was being reported as. These are not, Completely. these are not just your typical refugees. Yes, Excuse yes, me. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. everybody, all of yeah. the white networks were talking about it like that. And right? we even had stuff in British newspapers being like, this is what you can do for the war effort. I was like, the war effort? <laughs> and <laughs> and people asking you to donate in, in, in the yeah. UK endlessly. And I had friends calling me back saying, I will donate to that cause yeah. when, so there, there wasn't enough uh, Ukraine refugees to yeah. be given housing. And people were saying, well, we want to give housing. And people yeah. were like, well, what about the Syrians? Exactly. And they need yeah. housing. Are you opening your house? Yeah. Like, no, 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 yeah. thank you. We want those kind of refugees. Yeah. So, I mean, look, law is political. Law is about power. Law is also a reflection of a society. So the international legal framework mm. of the Geneva Conventions coming out of the Second World War is in its context. When you take it in its context, you understand why it failed in the yeah. war on terror. Yeah. So now we... You know, I mean, the global south or whatever should push back against yeah, it and force it to evolve. Completely. Right. But I don't want to, I refuse to engage with it to the level that we talk about the legalese of it in the sense that it, to me, it's again going back. I don't want to have the discussion about enemy combatants mm. and detainees. Right. I want to talk about how you will fix your targeting, how you will fix you know, who you qualify or who qualifies, what qualifies as an armed conflict or non-international armed conflict, you know, your laws of targeting, your laws yeah. of this, that really take into consideration the 20 years yes. or even longer of conflict yeah. in the global south that has yeah. been perpetrated by, you know, the north. Yeah. And yeah. where are those experiences, you know, kind of reflected in the conventions? And I think I was horrified because I only got to go on this uh, course for international law, I think. 2018 or 20, I was horrified mm. that like that's still the standard that was right, being propagated yeah. Yeah. after so much. And I couldn't understand there were other people in that course from Cuba and there was a bunch of diplomats also. Where I was just like, why are we not screaming yeah. about this? Where is yeah. Geneva Convention yeah. 5 or 6? Uh, you know, huh. that, that need, they need to be rewritten. Yeah. That's the first conversation that needs to happen about yeah. the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Sorry. And I also, I, I kind of, I agree with you and I also feel like lawyers from the global south and i i'm kind of i always like be on this drum whenever i'm teaching as well that like we need to know everything, everything so pick yes. because yes. there was so much ink yes. spilled about enemy combatants there is no field of enemy combatants you're either a civilian or you're a combatant yeah, that's exactly. it like there there is no third category that you can place everyone and that's it that argument yeah. should have been done 
Yeah. But instead, you're there, like you're laboriously like pouring over it and like talking about, oh, but the Americans did this. Oh, but we had one case in 1950, yeah. and this is what the Americans are really good at doing. Yeah. They go, they don't go into Iraq without 3,000 lawyers, yeah. and we don't even. I mean, there's nobody working on war law in Pakistan. Like the the amount of people working, there's a handful of people, yeah. and you need the same army to go in and be like, pick these arguments apart, and also be like, this is what we think. And but, but I think there's a reason for. So I completely agree that I was shocked. When And I went on this course that, I mean, I almost got kicked out of it because, um, you know, because as an experienced lawyer, just even in mm. domestic stuff, right? Yeah. So you, there was a lot of non-lawyers on the course, like diplomats and this kind of stuff. But the problem was that as the lawyer, whenever they'd say something about, well, this is an international mm. this is a non-international, I'd be like, well, who decides? Nobody yeah. really decides. And yeah. I was like, but doesn't it say that you guys are the ones that basically have to propagate it? Yes. And I was like, well, who decided in Afghanistan? Well, nobody mm. decided in Afghanistan. I was like, didn't you guys have a memo that came out and wasn't that basically the thing to the world? Oh, well, yes. yes, but we're not the only one. Well, yeah, you might not be yeah. the only ones, but yeah. your opinion is the main one that counts. And when you did, this is the consequences of it. Mm. So. That's why I was like, that was lesson number one and I almost got kicked out. So I agree. We need to know about yeah. this law yeah. in order to be able to challenge it. But what happens with what are the lessons from the war on terror experience mm. is something much more far reaching and damaging. Because what you've seen is a, you know, it's like you saw the United States exceptionalism. Mm. But because they did it and they did it so blatantly and they created all of these, uh, you know, ridiculous kind of exceptions in the law, we saw domestic actors, right? Other countries mm. just copy and pasting exactly their procedure and yeah. using it against their own citizens. Yes. And we yes. saw this globally. Yeah. And that effect is still going on. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I agree with you that, you know, we need to be advising our people also. And it's actually eroding. Like, I don't think today, if we went to the court on the same principle, mm. then we would have had that amount of success. Because, okay. because in that time, this topic of this being exceptionalist, mm. whatever, was still unthought of because it was only the United States that was you know, waging this in a, in a very blatant manner, yeah, right? yeah. creating these DRBs and military courts. Now we have had that experience yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because it's like, okay, they create the handbook and you know that yes. it's unfair and you know it's terrible. And then you kind of end up applying Everybody it. And it was, it. it was really interesting to see that, okay, they were, these, uh, detainees in Bagram were treated horribly. Mm -hmm. Uh, the accounts of torture, it, ju it just sounds like it was absolutely brutal. And then you had, I was reading a report where someone was like, Hey, so we couldn't link you to the bad guys. I'm sorry. Like, Off, like off your trial. No, they actually even said, sorry, we can't let you go now because you spent so much time here that oh, you must hate the United States. I mean, we were given this wow. argument directly yeah. um, by the policy people at the Pentagon also. Wow. Well, they must hate, even if we got it wrong, they must yeah. hate us now. So how can we let them go? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. What a reason to keep someone. Um, and also then that when they come back here, they're still subject to that under, under the fourth schedule of the ATA yeah. and that kind of yeah. thing. So they're talking about, oh, there are still wide powers to like, you know, um, not give us our rights, restrict our yeah. freedom of movement, yeah. uh, detain us, that kind of thing. And so you're just like, okay, so we yeah. are really applying that again. To the, like they're getting, it's almost like they're being doubly punished for something that Absolutely. they almost... No, it wrecks your life. Yeah, I mean, completely. a lot of them are very young from our pool of detainees. A lot of them, when they came back, the young ones uh, who were in their 20s by the time they were repatriated, they died. 
within oh, four or five years okay. because, okay. you know, we tried investigating why, but we were shocked to see, I think something like four or five of them oh, wow. died within the first mm. three years of return okay. from just like, from the abuse that they suffered mm. or, you know, I mean, it was just, these people should not have been dying of natural yeah. causes. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying they were killed. I'm saying that no. whatever happened yeah, yeah. to them with their yeah. long period of detention under the conditions of detention mm. led to them not being able to live a very long yeah. life or just even survive past three years. You're right about the system as well. It, you know, but more than the system, they get away with this because, I mean, if you think about who the detainees were, and we don't talk about it in our second report, right? Because mm. that's, that's a collection of you know, all of the work, uh, that's a collection of yeah. all of their stories when they came back. And I think it's one of the largest kind of collection of testimonies from people who've been received, who've been released from U.S. detention mm. um, in the war on terror. Um, what you see again and again, and it's something that I think my lowest point in that case, um, where I really, really felt, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fighter and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a perpetual optimist, especially when it comes to fighting for our clients. But I think one of my lowest points has to be when I was walking out of the Pentagon, when I'd been given a, you know, a timeline for when they might be, uh, when the U.S. pullout would happen and that they had promised that, you know, they'd promised the government of Pakistan and, you know, it had come to light in the court also that they were going to, you know, send them back to Pakistan, not take them to Gitmo with them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was there to ask, what's the timetable for, what are you going to do with these guys, right? Yeah. And I'd been there like a year before where they'd said, you know, when we pull out, they'll stay. Mm. And they just completely went back on their word. Okay. And I didn't know how I was going to go back to Pakistan and tell mm. the families of my clients mm. that that's not going to happen. But I remember distinctly coming down from the stairs uh, to back to the, you know, in DC, like it's it, it really the Pentagon. I call it like, you know, I don't know if you've seen Star Wars, yeah. but it's like the Death Star. Okay. And when you go in, you'll see, I mean, some mm. would say it's the US Federation. But I think it's like the Death Star and you see people in costumes walking around. It's the most surreal experience. But when you come down, um, going back into the DC Metro from the Pentagon station, on the elevator, there were gigantic ads of US um, weapons companies like oh, Northrop Grumman and all of these people. Mm. And I'm coming down after hearing this and being heartbroken. And I see, you know, at the world's latest technology, right, you know, right. these biggest yeah. weapons of yeah. war being advertised. And I'm thinking, this country, mm. right, is fighting literally, yeah. you know, 16-year-old boys, yes. right, yeah. from Fata. Yeah. Or yeah. a mentally ill, you know, kid mm. who wandered across, the, you know, from Balochistan, you know, or, you know, paying for, you know, paying ransom to Pakistanis for handing over their people. Yeah. You know, how on earth is this a fair fight? Yeah. yeah. What are they afraid of? And look at what they have. Yeah. And look at who these people are and they know who they're holding are wrong people. Yeah. But they won't let them go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, th this is the imbalance of it. I broke down crying. Yeah. I, I was partly yeah. screaming in anger and partly crying yeah. out of just despair. But it yeah. was just such an uneven, unequal balance. And, you know, we talk about lawfare and we talk about, I mean, the law and international law, especially because mm. it is a reflection of the world order and it counts on states complying. Mm. You know, when the strongest state in the history of the world decides to flaunt it, I think we should take heed from it. And I think that's time for the, you know, 
like you said, people working in the global south mm. to really demand a change. Yeah. 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 And also, so whenever I see um, how much money is spent on defense, the military industrial complex, the way it works, and it's phenomenal how much money is being pushed into there, the amount of technology resources yeah. that they have at their disposal. And at the same time, I'm like, you fought a 20 year war against these guerrilla fighters in Afghanistan and you lost and you left with your tails between your legs. And I, I think it's just astounding how little how much money they have, how much, how many resources they have, and yet they don't understand the terrain in which they're fighting in. And I think also it's that more like you don't understand the context. I mean, they just have to yeah. look at their own history and see they lost in Vietnam. Why yes, did they lose? Exactly. I mean, yeah, every yeah, country's yeah. own history yeah. is littered yeah. with these examples yeah. of only men in power. And yet, the, yet the empi- empire like continues. Like they just keep on. I think we're seeing the empire crumble, don't you? I, I, I wonder think... because I'm kind of a bit like, okay, you saw that in Iraq, and then you saw, you know, they were beating the drums again in Iran, and it never happened. And now you see the rise of China, and the the kind of you know it's it's playing off against each other. So they're both kind of circling each other now. The empire is not as simple as just one kind. I think the glo- like. The empire's system of control. I think capitalism. We're seeing the yeah, and in the long, yeah. so we're seeing the crumbling of that world order. Um, and in, but in the like, you know, the arc of history is long, right? Yeah. And so, I don't think it's going to happen in thirty years. Maybe not even in our lifetime. But mm. we're certainly seeing the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's gotten along pretty at a pretty fast pace, yeah. uh, comparable to global warming. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of how quickly it's disintegrating, yeah. we're watching it happen. Yeah. But I also, think the we're watching. You know, again, we're watching Russia mm. and other countries behaving in the way that, you know, you know, the United States blatantly yes. did for 20 years. Yes. You set yeah. that precedent. Yeah. yeah, Right. And I find it laughable when they call out Putin on, yeah. oh, like they violated. I mean, where was yeah. all of the international law and targeting and all of this stuff when the Israelis do this every couple exactly. of years exactly. in Palestine? So I was having this conversation with someone and I was saying that you cannot hold a tribunal against Russia by the same countries that invaded Iraq. You cannot have a tribunal and aggression no. against Russia by those countries. I do not think it would be legitimate. And then he was like, no, I don't I don't agree. I think you can't be selective like that. You have to start somewhere. I was like, so start with Israel. Start, you start with your own self. cut case yeah. in Israel that yeah. is an occupying force, is doing apartheid, is doing crimes against humanity, Absolutely. war crimes. It's all documented. Nobody now can sit at the yeah. sidelines and be like, this isn't happening. Yeah. It's happening. So where are we starting and, also, and why are we starting? And exactly. And if you see the, the institutions that they have set up, right? So for yeah. example, suddenly like we know from years that the ICC was opening prosecution into, you know, Iraq, sorry, in, into Afghanistan yes. and all of the powers that were there. Yeah. We were very yeah. excited about it. And there was an excellent prosecutor, Fatu, you know, who was leading the charge. Yeah. And it took her years. Yes. And then the United States, when she got close, they, yeah. they banned anybody that exactly. cooperated and yeah. they banned her and all of this stuff. But the ICC, I mean, case against Russia is like this. Like, like this. And I also mean, when the new prosecutor, who, I mean, I thought he was oh, amazing yeah. when he came in, Kareem Khan, and then he said, and then he said actually, we're not going to look at American war crimes. So this is basically going to be the Taliban yeah. and you're maybe looking at, you know, some Northern Alliance war Total crimes, because. but no, not because it didn't make any sense no, no, no. So, but this is what I mean, right? Yeah. If, if we start talking about, well, you know, I mean, even with the Israeli conflict, I remember Ves, who's your director, and I like having this conversation a lot you know where I was just like why does everybody talk about why even on news channels 
show the visuals and they're powerful enough and mm. the tide is turning by the way in terms of public opinion even in the united states because the younger generation yeah. stands with the palestinians yeah. they are yeah. not buying the crap that the israeli government yeah. is selling yeah even um, so the, the tide is know, changing yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's totally the very pro israel yeah but you know on tv on bbc and all these other channels you still see well you know they violated targeting stuff i mean yeah of yeah. course they did right yeah. you know but it only matters when they hit like a reuters office or afp Yeah, suddenly yeah. everybody goes up in arms yeah. i remember the strongest pushback on that course when they were talking about targeting the only time i felt like i wasn't alone um was when a bunch of people who were ex medecins of frontier like uh, yeah. what is it called msf yeah. msf people who yeah. who had lost colleagues mm. because there was a faulty targeting right uh, which yeah. they said it was not faulty it was mm. deliberate right mm. and so they were pushing back during that course when i was screaming about like again this is racist again yeah, this is yeah. like uh, against brown bodies yeah. this is problematic legally but again the only time that they did talk about it they said yeah she's right because you guys did this to us in pakistan mm. also you did that and they were like no no but that was within oh, the whatever yes. and they were like yeah, oh yeah. hell no that wasn't right yeah yeah the msf so, hospital in good it also maybe, yeah. matters who was targeted and who hurt yes, right because yeah. this whole discussion came about when in is when israel bombed yeah. like that that the tower, AFP tower. Yeah, the AFP yeah. tower and suddenly it was like what are you doing yeah and, like, and it's it's also because the rest of the time they can always say like oh but there were uh, militants hiding there yeah 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 so like when, this time around yeah, they were yeah. like and yeah. especially when you hit like an MSF hospital then no but it's also interesting because like the Syrians use that argument all the time they're like we hit that hospital but there were militants yeah absolutely there. So and Russia, I'm sure Putin's used it a couple of times yes. yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. you know you, so you're kind of um, both it's about the law is a tool and it's about how you can use it for coercive action and how good you are at using it as well i always find the israelis incredibly interesting because i will watch their spokespeople talk and um my brother will be like what the hell are they saying it doesn't yeah. make any sense and i'll be like they're talking entirely legally yeah. so whenever i see like zippy livni like yeah. talk and she's like oh this is not this is proportionate yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh and you the know the american statements this, about it are always the same and they're way. all vetted by lawyers yeah. right because yeah, yeah. they know that this is this is their state practice this is the kind of law that they're pushing yeah. for um and we never have that we always have people going on and being like oh even when the indians had their yeah. attack and you saw both sides had very weird legal language it wasn't clear what they were arguing is it self defense what are you doing yeah. like if it is use the language of self defense and you see that the use of that legal language for me is really interesting because then i'm like these are the people who when we eventually have geneva convention 5 and 6 they they go to the table knowing exactly what they want yeah absolutely yeah and but, we will be there so, being like so oh, I, think i don't know that's yeah because i yeah. find it really amazing that we don't have enough international lawyers yeah. like i'm yeah. not an international lawyer and yeah. this is why i love your center because you guys are the people i call when i need yeah. to get yeah. my concepts right and i think it's really critically important and i think it's even more important for you guys to be advising the state yes. and advising yeah. different actors in the state yeah. especially like the foreign office for Christ's sake yeah. and also yeah. you know a bunch of other like the ministry of human rights which i think you guys have worked with but it needs yeah. to be yeah, much more definitely. but as far as human rights lawyers are concerned when we're looking at you know the people that are kind mm. of on the receiving end of uh you know these policies and these laws and we we are trying to make that argument in the public sphere and we're making that argument to power yeah. or we're making that argument in our courts yeah right we need to cut past all of this yeah. because we need to be able to say very clearly what the context is mm. what the power dynamics are how our law how their rights are being violated and what we need to do about it 
right? This technical discussion, yeah. right? I wonder very cynically if, uh, because in terms of international law, the main thing is reciprocity, right? So yeah. like, why are we going to say for someone like Abhinandan, I'm not going to go and tell the state, give him his rights because it would be really nice to do that under this law or whatever. I'm going to be like, hey, the next day your prisoner of war goes that's over exactly there, what we you said. should so exactly, that, so you, that's should, you exactly need to give him those what, rights because yeah, like, it has to be Absolutely, but that's yeah. the very simple way of doing yeah, it. So yeah. our, the only argument that we made in that whole Abhinandan case was yeah. that the Pakistan, Pakistan at that time had over 11,000 prisoners imprisoned abroad. Right, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Legally, illegally, in detention, whatever. Mm. And if Pakistan, which is who has signed the VCCR, the Vienna mm. Convention on Consular Rights, yeah. decides to flout that right, yes. you are directly endangering yeah. the yeah. due process rights of 11,000 Pakistani yeah. prisoners abroad. Okay. Because okay. no other country is going to owe you that yeah. right yeah. if you don't follow it. So even though we did not wade into the issue on any other thing, we were very sure yeah. that the ICJ, was it the ICJ they went to? Yeah. Uh, for, yeah, 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 yeah. For, that, that they were going to very categorically come down Completely. and say VCCR right takes precedence yes. over the other stuff Completely. and you got to give him counselor access. Yeah, and yeah. I, I remember like my first day of like my LLM, first few days, they were like, if you were in a foreign country and you get arrested, the first, you don't say anything, you just say, I want counselor access. That's yeah, the only exactly. thing that you say. You don't need to say anything else. Uh, and it, that is a right that you've had that goes back hundreds of years from when people would send out yeah. their citizens, to their nationals to other states. And they were like, no, they, we need to know that they're yeah. protected and we'll protect yours. Absolutely. Um, I think it's really interesting when we talk about not giving people that right, especially when it comes to background detail because it's really easy then to be like oh mistakes are made because you didn't yeah. have a lawyer you didn't have the right to see any yeah. evidence against you you didn't have the yeah, right yeah. to talk to anybody you're held like basically incommunicado so it's yeah, really we could easy never, then to be like oh we didn't know we could no actually they when they did grant access to the Pakistani government and the high commission okay. the, uh, they granted it after court orders they granted right, it regularly right. before also I think they'd Granted it once or twice, but the Pakistanis were not availing that right that much oh, either. Pakistan okay, okay. was always allowed to go to Bagram because we okay. were such close allies yeah, yeah. in the war on terror. Right, right, right. right. Um, we were also the first ones to go to Gitmo. Like yeah. our country was the first one. Our uh, okay. officials were allowed to go to mm -hmm. Gitmo. So it was, this is part of our litigation was really part of getting mm. the Pakistani government to do right by its citizens as right. well. Okay. But it was very interesting because at one point there was some document that landed up in court in which I can't remember, I mean, because the government used to come and file a report before the court and, you know, show proof of all this stuff. So some documents would kind of get slipped in. But I remember distinctly reading the Americans having said something like, um, you're coming in. So like the Pakistanis would write to the Americans officially, like a diplomatic note or whatever, that we are requesting access to see this national or this national. And then the Americans had written back saying, yes, we're granting you access, but not under the Vienna Convention. Oh, right? Okay. And I remember them even mm. like, you know, at that time saying, mm. but this is not counselor access okay. because they're not even under that. And I just remember being like, oh, oh who cares? Right. You idiots. Like, I just want my guys uh, back, huh. you know, and I want my country to have access. Yeah. But oh, like, ugh, too. Like, <laughs> lana to, you know, I mean, itni yeah. but anyway, so mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they were very, but they were very kind of, you know, making their, they were very sure of like, you know, not falling afoul oh, of, really you know, they yeah. were still playing games yeah, with yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And again, I just keep coming back to the point that I could like, I we just completely ignored that. And mm. in some way, mm -hmm. the Pakistani government not having international lawyers 
helped because if they got distracted by this damn yeah, argument yeah, yeah. then we wouldn't have seen these guys come home yeah and also because um the right to ask your you have a right to ask your state to exercise diplomatic protection on your behalf yes. so all of the british who were in gitmo and even the canadians yeah. they were asking their governments give yes, us diplomatic protection. protection they were like actually we can choose to give it or not it's a discretionary yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. so it's kind of one of those rights under international which is really annoying and frustrating for me because i'm like you have the right but it has no teeth but it's 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 a, it's the right to diplomatic protection whereas now the thing that has teeth is the yeah. right to counselor access yes. so yeah, the right yeah. to counselor protection yeah yeah right is a better way of framing it yeah. because the doctrine of diplomatic protection as it was before it was really more about the state's obligations vis-a-vis whatever and yeah. it allows and the state you asking for yeah. protection when you, and yeah. when you frame it as a diplomatic thing mm-hmm. then it's sets in all of this states rights states kind of sensitivity foreign exactly. relations blah blah exactly, blah yeah. but the and way the courts have always yeah. held on that side to be so, like actually that yeah, is kind exactly. of the so say like foreign executive yeah, priority yeah. or foreign relations and this yeah. the courts are going to be like we don't want to be involved yeah, yeah. but what was brilliant about agnes kalamar's report she was the ex special rapporteur on extrajudicial arbitrary summary executions and she came out with the definitive uh, i think like 3 years ago i have lost track of time with covid but you know she came out with a definitive scholarship on this and it came from her office as uh, the rapporteur where she called it the right to counselor assistance mm. right so it's yeah. the doctrine of counselor protection yeah that frames this entire obligation on the part yeah. of the countries host and sending state and the rights within the rights of the national yeah right yeah. under international human rights law and also she talks about domestic law she actually mentions I think this case or because we use the same principle the article 4 protections right. constitutional protections um to advocate on behalf of Pakistanis imprisoned in the gulf okay right yeah. um especially on death row mm-hmm. and documenting again we went to the law high court and we were documenting all of the violations that took place in their trial mm. um you know and their sentencing and stuff and making the argument that under our constitution our state failed in their duty right right yeah. to secure them due process yeah. they should have intervened when there was a lack of due process mm. and therefore the state has an obligation now to come to their aid and mm. right that wrong either ask for a commutation or get involved or, you know whatever um and so we we love this principle we love the fact that in yeah. our constitution it's an inalienable yeah. right yeah. and we intend to litigate on this inst- on this principle endlessly okay okay so. awesome that's good. <laughs> um well thank you so much that was such an interesting discussion this is fun i think actually. you know it's good when you've like abandoned all of your questions <laughs> and you're just like so they might it might have been, i don't know maybe too nerdy but i i had a great time no so it was really great stuff. thank you so much and we hope you enjoyed it at home as much as we enjoyed talking about it and we hope that you'll tune in for future episodes thank you yeah.